Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. My name is Spencer. He's Dr. Bob. You're looking as handsome as ever, Dr. Bob. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You do. You look great. Yeah, right. You got your like almost Hawaiian shirt going on. Of course, the signature suspenders. Yeah. Got the long beard. You almost look monkish with the short cropped hair and the long, long, long beard. Especially this weekend, you officiated a wedding of one of our mutual friends, Andrew Swadner, and especially in your suit and tie, you looked especially regal. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> I did uh, a friend in New York. We had a Zoom call. I mean, it's he's a friend now, but at the time, you know, we were just getting to know each other. And he said, you probably get this a lot, but you look just like my rabbi. Yeah. And I said... No, I've never gotten that before. This is crazy. So I'm sitting there with, again, a mutual friend, Nathan, and his wife, Amanda. And I said, the only thing that would cap off Dr. Bob's outfit right now would be a yarmulke. Yeah. Because you did. You looked like, you looked rabbinic. Well, I said, you know, there's not a lot of Jewish people around here. So no, I've never gotten it. But he said, in New York, we think (laughs) you're a rabbi. So yeah, okay. That's fine. So yeah, we had a busy weekend. We had that wedding to go to. That was really a lot of fun. And then you also, we're going to right off the top, talk about your politics and pints kind of, I guess it was sort of a panel of speakers. And so we'll kind of talk about that to get off uh, off and rolling. People that have been listening to this podcast all the way through, this is episode 29, by the way. Mm-hmm. So thanks to everybody that has followed along the whole way. You know that we're interested in artificial intelligence. And it's interesting, too, because I think we both come from come to this issue from different perspectives. I think you're a bigger fan of AI. You're a more early adopter of AI than I have been so far. I'm sort of kicking and screaming to not adopt it. I like it. I mean, it, if I were a college professor, I'd be wary of it. But you can tell its particular style. You can see, you know, what's now going you on. Can. But- now you can. I could from the beginning. That's what I'm saying. It gets better and better and better to the point where you won't be able to distinguish. Just like the artwork. I mean, it's very easy to pick out right now what would be AI artwork and what's not. But even that, just in the past few months, has gotten way better. It's almost like going from playing a Nintendo to, you know, playing the new, you know, Sony PlayStation games. It's like that big of a difference. And that took, what, 40 years of development? Yeah. And... You know, we're seeing that in months now with AI. But I like it. I know you like it. So we'll talk about that, uh, again, pretty much right off the top. We also have, of course, Cock Talk today. Plenty of caucus news. Uh, You were, we'll also kind of just talk about your travels over the past week. You had an opportunity to speak with Nikki Haley, but you had a wedding to officiate. So we'll kind of discuss that. Also, Marionette Miller-Meeks hosted pretty much all of the Republican nominees for president, except for Trump, of course. Uh, in fact, this is pretty light on Trump this week, thank God. Also, t- uh, Senator Tim Scott has really put all of his money into Iowa, so we'll discuss what that strategy means. Mitch McConnell actually made a good point. John Stewart and Apple TV have parted ways. The World Series is on the doorstep. And two top five lists today. So I had already said that we're going to do two, uh, top five serials I didn't really realize that this will be our last podcast before Halloween. So I had to do top five scariest movies. We'll actually record on Halloween next week, but it won't come out until Wednesday, November 1st. 
and it's almost so, like Christmas. Like, yeah, once once the 31st is over, nobody cares what your top five scariest movies are. We are going to do top five urban legends, though, next week. So that's sort of in that vein. So we'll start off. You were speaking in Iowa City. Big Grove Brewery, I believe, was the site. And you it was the politics and pints conversation. So what was the point of it? Who else was there? And I'm sure you had a blast. Yes, I had a blast. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It's uh, it's something that the Gazette does, great newspaper, with Iowa Public Radio. And so uh, normally the host is Ben Kiefer, but Ben was not available. So Aaron Jordan with the Gazette served as the moderator, and she's fantastic. And so is Todd Dorman, who's one of the best opinion writers in the country for the Gazette. Um, Althea Cole was there, and she's a a conservative writer, and she's not a a wacky one, so I profit from reading her work. And uh, then Tom Barton, who's just like, who needs Google when you want to know something about politics? Not only just Iowa, but nationally, Tom is just like, he knows so much. It's just pretty amazing, and Aaron asked some good questions, the audience asked some good questions, and... I met with my friend Chris Jones, who uh, is a thorn in the side of Republicans because he cares deeply about clean water, and that was fun, and we rabble-roused a little bit. <laughs> Saw my daughter Johanna and her friend Lucy and ate great food. And You know how it is when somebody from a small town goes to the big <laughs> city. It's just fun. Yeah, Big Grove Brewery sounds like a blast, and I'm sure just the conversation was just fun to begin with it was fun i went over the top and so that was fun too yeah we talked when we were at the wedding you said that it had gone really well and that you had had comments from people that you're willing to say what other people i guess aren't willing to say and that's one of the reasons why we have this podcast too is to try to tell the truth as closely to what is actually going on as possible yeah and it was it was uh it was very interesting. We talked about all kinds of things. We talked about, I don't think this made it to uh, the airing for IPR, but we went through, you know, how the candidates were doing. And I said, you know, I said a lot of different things, but I said, everybody needs to go home except for Nikki Haley. Tim Scott hasn't caught on and he knows remarkably, uh, doesn't know a lot for a sitting senator. I think I've said that here before. Chris Christie needs to go home. Mike Pence, I said, his family needs to do an intervention, and the audience <laughs> liked that. And so we also talked about book bannings, and I forget exactly what I said, but anybody that is seeking to ban Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale doesn't want you to know that that's their idea for your future. Yeah. And so I said, you know, probably better than that. And that was, and that got a lot of applause. That um, uh, you know, the how different people are running roughshod over schools and libraries, and how sad that is. And but I don't know. We were we did a, a good job. I think it was a great panel, and you could it was, you can still go to Iowa Public Radio and you know last Friday's edition of River to River if you want to listen to it. Sounds great. It was fun. It was fun to be around. People, it was fun to look out at an audience of, you know, 100 or so people that 
were just enjoying themselves watching us and listening to us talk about politics like and it's just fun because you know for you know a whole lot of it is conjecture I mean we're just thinking I think I mean Tim Scott who's supposed to be this you know above the fray kind of guy who just decided to uh, troll Nikki Haley about drapes I mean my yeah. god yeah. during that last debate he's really getting to the bottom of the barrel yeah. He's grasping at straws. He started off really well in Iowa, mainly because he spent so much money in Iowa and flooded YouTube and local channels with all of his ads. So he shot up right away and looked like he had a promising campaign. But he's one of those candidates where the more you get to know about him, the less you really, I wouldn't say like him, but would want to vote for him for president, for sure. He's a likable guy, but he's li he's got the wrong campaign managers. They're not... There, everything is sort of post-Trump, and no matter, even if you're supposed to be a nice guy, they want you to be a jerk. Right. And that's the new Republican brand, jerk. And some people wear that well. Some people wear it poorly. And he wears that, you know, tough guy thing poorly, I think. Yeah. It, just... it looks like he's wearing somebody else's clothes. Yep. So this is from KCRG. A top specialist in artificial intelligence says industry is embracing many of the positive aspects of artificial intelligence, but warns against becoming too reliant on it. Dr. Joseph Engler is the chief AI scientist at Collins Aerospace and created their enterprise AI. He told an audience at the Cedar Rapids Public Library that AI is beneficial in many areas, including maintenance work, supply chain efficiencies, and customer service. He says it's important everybody knows how harmful it can be as well. And I've got, this is from Penn Stakes. So here is a table of the top 10 most common jobs in Iowa that are at risk of getting replaced by AI. Penn Stakes is a gambling outfit. So that's all they do all day is put odds on things. So this is not necessarily a scientific study by any means, but I think it does, I think it lines up pretty well with what you would imagine would be some of the jobs, especially in Iowa, that would be most at risk. We'll start off with number 10, medical secretaries. Number nine is industrial truck and tractor operators. Eight is light truck or delivery services drivers. Seven is secretaries and administrative assistants, except for legal, medical, and executive. Number six is drivers and sales workers. Number five is fast food and counter workers. Number four is slaughterers and meat packers, which surprised me. Number three is bookkeeping, accounting, and auditing clerks. Number two is office clerks in general. Number one is laborers and freight, stock, and material movers. And those top, what is it, top four, Penn Stakes has it as a 100% chance that you are going to lose your job if that's what you currently do. They did not mention a date by when this will happen, but as this stuff is moving as quickly as it is, I don't think it's going to be too far into the horizon when these people start losing their jobs in very large numbers. Well, I don't understand some of it. I mean, uh, being an old carpenter, and I guess you could, you know, 3D print houses now, but there's some things that are going to take people to do. There's decisions to be made. Um, I don't know. I guess they're talking about the 
robots being really good. Well, yeah, and the thing is, I brought up the slaughterers surprised me at first, but the more you think about it, I mean, right now they're judging the the grade of beef and where they should cut and what you know slices to make and and all those sorts of things. And a computer will be able to do that if, if they already are able to do that. And so you just attach a saw to that thing and boom, you don't have yeah. to pay whoever 20 bucks an hour. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I was imagining, let's just say that you're going to landscape a yard. How is somebody going to, you know, how is a machine going to land? I guess it's got eyes and it can do all kinds of things, but... Plant That's the thing. I mean, right now, I think I when I think of AI, I think of a chat bot. Yeah. But it won't be long before it will be a fully functioning robot. I mean, they will have androids that right. maybe not look like you or me. And it might depend on what kind of industry they're working in. If it's a laborer or a landscaper, it can look like whatever. You know, whatever is the most functional way to build that robot or android. And if it's in customer service, you're going to want to have a more human looking robot to welcome you into the hotel, maybe seat you at a restaurant, possibly even be your server at a restaurant. I don't think these things are too far in the future. Like what seemed impossible a year ago is already possible and becoming industry standard. Like Rockwell Collins, man, that's one of the biggest companies in the United States in aviation, in the defense industry, radios, technology in general. And I guarantee that they are going to start laying people off because they simply don't need the manpower to do those computations, to do that engineering. I grew up in Marion, not too far from the Collins or Rockwell Collins headquarters in Cedar Rapids. It is gigantic, taking up several city blocks of large buildings filled with very highly paid engineers. They're not going to be they're not going to need those buildings anymore. Yeah. And so what are we going to do with all the people without any uh, work? Well, you have to have a universal based income. Mm-hmm. Whether that's $1,000, $1,500, and it's possibly an FDR great deal type thing where we And I think that's part of the Democrats thinking is investing more in infrastructure, investing more in jobs that are going to be needed in 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. So give me a replicator from Star Trek and a a holodeck. It's exciting, but scary. Yeah. That's why I have avoided AI for as long as I have. And just... And by AI, I mean just chat GPT. I try, not to, I try to continue to use my own brain, brain power as much as I can. Because yeah, I could just feed... I mean, it's scary because I could just... like AI could probably just read my Facebook and my Twitter. I could upload an audio sample of my voice and it could host this podcast. I'm not kidding. Right now, that could happen. It may not be as so. good. I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying it would be as good, but it might be better. I don't know. It's there's nothing like human interaction. True, but that's I, my whole point. Yeah, that's why I try to avoid it because it's scary. Yeah, it is scary, but it's either you embrace it. For example, 
I had friends. Have you seen these Brian Ferentz deep fakes where he's at a press conference and at Heaven's Hawkeye, I believe, is who creates these videos? Hundreds, if not thousands of people were fooled thinking that Brian Ferentz said what he said in the video, even though it came from artificial intelligence. I hadn't heard that. So it's already happening. And that's just Brian Ferentz, the meaningless offensive coordinator for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Imagine how many people would be fooled by a deep fake of Benjamin Netanyahu right now, or Joe Biden, or Vladimir Putin. I'm sure it's happening as we speak on all sorts of social media and propaganda TV right now. Scary thought. So let's wrap this up with the not bad news. I wouldn't necessarily call it good news, but here are the jobs that have the lowest risk of getting taken over by AI. Again, we'll start at number 10 and we'll go to the least likely to be replaced. So number 10 is home health and personal care aides. Number nine is general and operations managers. Number eight is maintenance and repair workers in general. Number seven is carpenters. So boom, there you go, carpenters. Number six is middle school teachers and expert special and career technical education. Number five is secondary school teachers. Number four is first line supervisors of construction and trades and extraction workers. Number three is elementary school teachers except for special education. Number two is nurses. Number one is electricians. I wonder why electricians. I don't know. And you'd kind of think that just HVAC in general would go hand in hand just because it's hard areas to get into maybe. Like can a robot get down on the ground and replace, you know, the catch of your plumbing or, you know what I mean? Like it's tough to get into those places sometimes maybe. Just get a little spider-like AI. Well, yeah. I mean, eventually. And the thing is, these all still have a risk of losing your job to AI. Even the number one electricians you still have a 5% chance of losing your job to AI. So basically no job is safe. Nope. Well, AI would be a lot better than the Republicans in the House. Yes. I mean, they can't function at all. Right. It would figure that out pretty quick. Yeah. But then again, like, then you get into, like, how much power do we give these things? Because it's like, okay, yeah, I could probably do that better. But how? Why? What, is, what does better mean? <laughs> better would be not to destroy democracy. Right. Which is what the Republicans in the House and elsewhere are trying to do. Well, let's get into some cock talk. Then. This is from KCCI, some caucus news. Iowans heard from seven White House hopefuls on Friday in Iowa City at a fundraiser hosted by First District Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks. Ryan Binkley, Doug Burgum, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Asa Hutchinson, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Tim Scott all spoke to the Iowa crowd. As candidates looked to differentiate themselves, many campaigned on how they'd solve gridlock in Congress. This is a quote from Ron DeSantis. I've been watching what's going on in D.C. and in Florida. We don't do the theater. We don't do the drama. Referencing the chaos in the U.S. House of, Repu- uh, US House of Republicans' struggle to elect a speaker. Again, quoting, we don't do the palace intrigue, we just deliver results, end quote. 
Nikki Haley also pitched experience unifying a state party while touting her record as the former governor of South Carolina, quoting, when I was governor, we had a Republican House and a Republican Senate, and they butted heads all the time. And what I would do is I'd bring them in a room and I'd say, we're not leaving until you figure this out. And I never let South Carolinians see how the sausage was made. We need to start getting focused, end quote. That's from Nikki Haley again. Vivek, which doesn't even fucking make sense. Vivek Ramaswamy set himself apart from both Republicans and Democrats while pushing back against a possible Israeli invasion of Gaza. Quoting here, I am deeply worried about the wisdom of this ongoing, potentially uh, imminent ground invasion to Gaza, which I do not believe is going to be good for Israel and do not believe it's going to be good for the United States. That's from Ramaswamy. Well, there's lots of talk that it isn't going to be good for Israel or the United States. I don't agree with Vivek very often, but I think the ground game will only, oh, you know, give Hamas more popular support. I mean, if there's a ground invasion, I just, I mean, what they did was horrific. Um, and it deserves a response. It'd be nice not to, you know, go into Gaza. There's enough trouble now. Um, I don't know, we need a ceasefire. It's just so complex, that whole, you know, place. The Palestine, I mean, Israel needed a home. It was formerly a, a Jewish homeland, then historical processes disenfranchised them. And then, the, you know, they were just placed back on that piece of land in 1945, and it's like, you know, they just landed in the midst of another population of people and there's going to be some resentment and there's going to be bad actors and there's going to be bad actors on both sides. And this is just, you know, you know a terrible situation. Where Again, God's fault. I don't even know where to begin with that. But we also basically just use Israel as a launching pad. The West has used Israel as an anchor in the Middle East, as a buffer between us and I guess the Arabs, the Muslims, I don't really know. I mean, it's a military base yeah. in terms of what the West looks at Israel as yeah. for all intents and purposes. Well said. Um, so this is from the Des Moines Register. We talked about Tim Scott right off the top, but as his campaign sputters nationally, U.S. Senator Tim Scott is aggressively shifting resources into Iowa this week, doubling campaign staff and pledging to go all in on campaigning in the first in the nation caucus state. According to his campaign, Scott will employ staff members, quote, in the double digits by the end of the week with more to come and he'll open a West Des Moines headquarters. The campaign will also shift planned television ad buys from New Hampshire into Iowa and beginning after the November 8th GOP presidential debate in Miami, Scott will plan to campaign in Iowa every week until the January 15th caucuses. The news of Scott's Iowa shift comes amid concerning signs for his campaign. Scott has not yet qualified to appear on the November debate stage, according to tracking by Politico. Though he has a sizable war chest, which I hate that language, war mm -hmm. chest. He's got sizable money. His campaign is spending far more than it's currently taking in, and his allied super PAC recently announced it would cancel most of the remaining $40 million in fall TV ad spending it had reserved on Scott's behalf ahead of the caucuses. So he's putting a bunch of money from his campaign into Iowa, and his super PAC is saying, you're wasting your money. <laughs> right. 
Well, they're just hoping that, you know, the others drop out one by one and they coalesce behind one person. He's not in it for just this cycle. He's in it for the next round. I mean, they're going to need a, you know, Trump is an old man. He's feeble-minded. He's, I mean, he's just going downhill so fast if you look at what he's been saying. And I mean, he wasn't in a good place to begin with, but... Well, yeah, now he wants a religious test for immigrants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and gets cheers. Yeah. And uh, so, I don't know, he's not campaigning for this time. And, you know, there's, you know, Rick Perry want, ran once, the second time, he never won, you know, he never was the candidate, but the second time through, he was a much better candidate. Sure. And so, you know... It does like, take practice, yeah. I and mean, it's not something that most people are natural at doing. Yeah, but Other now, than just freaks like Barack Obama or Donald Trump, for, for that matter. Although he's had plenty of practice at marketing and speaking to crowds so it's not a new thing for him no but for tim you know, scott when you're you know your biggest city is charleston south carolina and you're campaigning around south carolina you're probably not talking to nearly the amount of people you are when you're campaigning for president right right he wasn't prepared everybody talked about how his launch was bad yeah. and he comes out you know he did he had a good brand going before he entered the race, and then he's listening to his consultants, and he's just well. His latest ad his is all about making sure that women play women's sports and men play men's sports. He's on a football field with an ethnically diverse football team, of course, and it's yeah, it's all just trans propaganda and how we need to protect women's sports. We don't have any... When it's not an issue. And if it is an issue, it can be resolved on a case-by-case basis. I don't think we need a national declaration of how that should work. Right. And the thing is, it's, it's, you know what I think about sports. You know, I'm a casual fan. I used to be a big fan, but it's like, it's just, it shows our misplaced priorities, especially in school. It's not, it's, why is it so much about winning on everything over participation? So you want to take a, a group of kids and not allow them to participate because it's gendered. No, it's, more, it's important for those kids to participate, I think. But, well, I think just like anything else, it's been injected by the appeal of money, whether that's scholarship dollars or now in this day and age, name, image, and likeness money. And you start kids at a very young age to train them to get that scholarship or to get that NIL money. So once you start interfering with people's money, that's when it becomes this outrage, even though it is a very small issue, if it's an issue at all. Right. But it becomes a wedge issue because they portray this as there's, you know, trans men everywhere well, just like the bathroom just like the yeah just like the bathroom issue it's a very small issue that can be handled on a case-by-case basis or through the school board or you know at the very most through the state itself but it's a non-issue that they just overblow to piss people off yeah that's what they do so let's take a wider scope this is from brian Karam on twitter Not often that I agree with Mitch McConnell. In fact, this is the first time I remember agreeing with him. But this is a quote from Mitch McConnell. 
No Americans are getting killed in Ukraine. By the way, he's speaking about the war in Ukraine against Russia. So no Americans are getting killed in Ukraine. We're rebuilding our industrial base. The Ukrainians are destroying the army of one of our biggest rivals. I have a hard time finding anything wrong with that. I think it's wonderful that they're defending themselves and also the notion that the Europeans are not doing enough. They've done almost $90 billion. They're housing a bunch of refugees who escaped. I think our NATO allies in Europe have done quite a lot, end quote. Yeah, I mean, you have to agree with that. It would be nice if he would have said something about the loss of lives of Ukrainians. Right. You know, but he didn't. He doesn't care as long as they're not U.S. troops, you know, and for that matter, also the loss of lives of the Russian soldiers. Well, yeah, it's still still funny how purely political and geopolitical that is. Which is fine, though, but he's a U.S. senator. I mean, yes, should he have said something about the Ukrainians that are being killed? Yeah. But does that matter? Should that matter to a U.S. senator? Not really, I don't think. Well, the humanitarian concerns should cross borders. Sure. But, But I think it also goes without saying, because we are supplying them. We are their ally. We are supplying them with supplies and with ammunition and with weapons and training, etc. So I think it, one of those things that sort of goes unsaid, of course, we're going to help the Ukrainian people, just like we're going to help the Ukrainians beat Russia. And oh, by the way, we don't necessarily care so much about the Ukrainian people as we care about them beating Russia. Well, I guess we should say that not all of the Republican presidential candidates or Republicans in Congress are interested in beating Russia or Trump. Trump would like Russia to win. Trump is a Putin fan. Mm-hmm. The, we were, you know, so many of the candidates for um, the Republican nomination, they're pro-Putin. And so it's just crazy. Well, that's why it's nice to actually hear a Republican, yeah. especially the leader of the Republicans in the Senate, say something like that. Yeah. This is from The Verge, still taking a wider scope. This is sad news to me. So snagging Jon Stewart to host a new political talk show after his departure from The Daily Show was one of Apple TV Plus's biggest achievements when the problem with Jon Stewart was first announced back in 2020. But ahead of production kicking off on the show's third season, Stewart and Apple have reportedly parted ways over, quote, creative differences and The Problem, which is the name of the show, The Problem, is coming to an end. The New York Times reports that along with concerns about some of the guests booked to be on The Problem with Jon Stewart, Stewart's intended discussions of artificial intelligence, along with talk about China, is what concerns Apple. Though new episodes of the show were scheduled to begin shooting in just a few weeks, staffers learned today, and I do mean today, on Tuesday, that production had been halted. According to The Hollywood Reporter, ahead of its decision to end The Problem, Apple approached Stewart directly and expressed its need for the host and his team to, quote, be aligned with the company's views on topics discussed. Rather than falling in line when Apple threatened to cancel the show, Stewart reportedly decided to walk. Good for him. The Times report doesn't detail what about the show's planned coverage of artificial intelligence in China prompted Apple's executive leadership to butt heads with Stewart, but considering how pointed critically, uh, critically 
or, or how pointed criticality, I should say, is a big part of what ultimately made the problem with Jon Stewart a hit for Apple TV+, and how maintaining a cordial relationship with China is crucial to Apple's future plans for growth. It doesn't come as a shock to see the show hit the chopping block this way. It, it's one of those things where it's, it's inevitable. A company that size with tentacles as far-reaching as Apple wouldn't necessarily want Jon Stewart to be Jon Stewart. But fuck Apple. This is the stupidest story I've read in some time in that did they not know who Jon Stewart is? Did they not know what he does? And what he does and who he is and the and how he approaches topics is I don't know, it's just remarkable. It's visionary, it's brilliant. And you just you can't stop that from happening and to even think that you could shows that they don't didn't really even know who he was or what he can do or why we love him or why yeah why would you want why would you hire him in the first place i think the biggest the overarching concerning thing to me is how much influence china has on these decisions yeah here we are in america where apple is based a democracy where stuff like that doesn't fly, where we want the truth, where we have a freedom of the press to hopefully uncover those truths. And that's all Jon Stewart's trying to do, is trying to get down to what the issue is and how it's going to affect people in a very honest and frank manner. And China can squash that. So here is one of our best current television news journalists, Jon Stewart, being silenced effectively by China through Apple. All because the big CEOs of Apple don't have enough money. Well, and also the artificial intelligence thing is scary. Like, why would they have, why would Apple have so much of a problem with what Jon Stewart was going to say about AI? Or maybe probably not what he was going to say, but whatever expert he may have had on. Like, I'm not going to, I love my Mac. Like, I'm not going to Exactly, Mac. right. And it's like, if that's what you're into, whether or not Jon Stewart does a story on it, like you said, is not going to affect your bottom line. No, it's just, yeah, I don't, one of the things that always surprises me is that, I mean, everybody thinks, we tend to think, we're raised to think that these people, you know, head of these multinational corporations are really smart people. Right. The thing is, they're not any smarter than anybody else. No. They're just not. No. Yeah. Let's get on to some good news, shall we? The Astros lost, Dr. Bob. Down go the cheaters. Oh, were they the cheaters? Don't you remember they were banging on trash cans to let the batters know what pitch was going to be coming? Oh, yeah. This happened back in like 2016, 2017, back when they actually won a World Series previously. One of the reasons they probably won it was because they cheated and they didn't take any rings away. They didn't take away the championship. They fired like the manager and the GM and no player was penalized. Many of those same players are still on the Houston Astros, including Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman, but they are no longer. The Texas Rangers took them out. It's interesting. It's only the second time in Major League Baseball history that the road team won all seven games of a series. 
So Texas won all of the games that were taking place in Houston, and Houston won all of the games that were taking place in Arlington, Texas, where the Rangers play. Only the second time that's ever happened. And by the time you are listening to this on Wednesday morning or whenever that might be, we'll know who they're going to be playing. But they will play the winner of the Diamondbacks and Phillies. They compete in a Game 7 tonight. Also, there's only there's not been a Game 7 since 2020, and we have two Game 7s back-to-back in the championship series of Major League Baseball. You probably don't really have a, a much of a rooting interest either way for the Rangers or Phillies or, or Diamondbacks. Oh, I will always root against Texas. Yeah. Always. That's why it sucked that Houston was playing Texas. Yeah. So, yeah, and having lived in New Mexico all those years that I did, there's even more reasons to not like Texas that, uh, that I'll, I'll not share. It's just, you know, too much detail. Now, I have to ask you is, is what the Astros did with respect to cheating, was that worse than what uh, Belichick's Patriots did? What's the worst? Crime? I would say that it's pretty similar in terms of, I mean, it's basically both cheating by stealing signs or stealing information from the other team, which is also back in the news again now because the University of Michigan football team, head coach is Jim Harbaugh, is now being accused of also sign stealing. So you're looking over at what they're doing, and you see they're calling a ball. You're not going to tell your guy that they're calling balls? Well, see, the thing is, they had a much more intricate way of stealing the sign, which involved like cameras and oh. technology and relaying the information. Because, of course, those things happen very quickly. So you need to be able to get the information quickly and then get it to the batter quickly. And that's why beating. <laughs> so it's all these technological things. And then, uh, so how do we get the information to the guy? Uh... Could we just beat a trash can? Yep. Got it. Right. So I'm not sure about the whole particulars on the Michigan case thing, but they are also accused of stealing signs. I guess I don't know. Just because it's more technologically complex than seeing it with your eye and acting on that information, just because it's more complex, does that mean it's a worse crime? I think so. Because that, means, because that means that if you were just seeing it with your eye, it's almost that team's fault for not disguising their signs well enough. If you can just see it with your naked eye, well, then the other team's just not very good at, at calling plays and making sure that those things are not easily decipherable. Whereas if there's more technology that goes into it or different camera angles to find where the signs are coming from or those sorts of things, then it does seem like it's usurping... Um, what am I? What am I looking for here? The spirit of the game. So, so I think there is gamesmanship in terms of trying to steal signs. That's always happened. That will continue to happen. But when it gets into we actually hire a staffer to be in charge of it, that's when it crosses the line into that's not just gamesmanship or trying to get an edge anymore. That's you are purposefully cheating with the goal in mind of cheating. It's not just, oh, the catcher's leaving his leg a little bit far open. I've had that happen in high school baseball where the first base coach will say, I can see the signal. And I always, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I never wanted that information. Um, I guess, call it morality, I guess. But So, yeah, that happens in all levels of sports. But there is, I think there is not even a fine line, but there is a line between that sort of thing and giving resources 
to cheating. Okay. I'll accept that answer. I appreciate it. It's a little long-winded, but it was a good question. All right, are we ready for the top five list? Anything that I'm missing? Obviously, a lot of stuff has happened this week, and I don't want to talk about Trump today. I just don't. So there's a lot of news with him, but you can find that information somewhere else. No, we don't have to talk about him. We can talk about how Fanny Willis is just destroying <laughs> his legal team. They're yeah. all pleading guilty and tears. I was going to say, Jenna Ellis everywhere. is tearing up this morning, recalling her work for the Trump Organization. Crocodile tears, of course. All right, top five list. Top five cereals. Let's get to it. You like cereal, correct? Sure. Number five is Cookie Crisp. Never heard of it. Number four is Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I've heard of it. Sounds Ever terrible. had it? No. Sounds terrible. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Just the cinnamon. Just sounds like a lot of artificial flavors to me. Well, welcome to my top five list. <laughs> Number three is Frosted Flakes. That's a simple thing. I mean, Frosted Flakes have been around forever. Tell me the tiger, right? There you go. Number two is Cap'n Crunch Crunch Berries. Now, I was a kid when Captain Crunch first came out. And Captain Crunch was, like, addicting. Yeah. The Crunch Berries I found to be too hard and would, you know, sort of claw at the roof of your mouth. So number one, peanut butter cap and crunch. And that really destroyed my mouth because like you said, when I was a kid, I was addicted. Probably as addicted as I've ever been to anything in my entire life. Ate it pretty much breakfast, lunch, and dinner there for a while. And the roof of my mouth was raw. Yeah. <laughs> that, and that's when you know it's a real addiction. That it, it's physically hurting me, but I'm still going to eat it. Yeah. Well, in the Captain Crunch, the regular Captain Crunch, the milk would soften it soften it pretty quickly. There you go. The crunch berries, you know, could you know live forever. <laughs> right. Anything I'm missing? What's your favorite cereal? Well I like all you know, the granola and the muesli and all I that was just gonna stuff. say the muselics. Yeah. Or I'm guessing you're like a big Chex guy. Yeah, Chex are okay. I liked uh, I actually did. See, I'm a rice Chex. I used to really like rice Chex. I like Chex Mix the best. Oh, yeah, that's excellent. No pretzels. Really? Yeah, no pretzels. You seem like a pretzel guy. You seem like the kind of guy that sits at the bar by the pretzels. Nope. And just, you know, well, the, eats the, a few at a time. And I don't mind the like baked pretzels at the mall. The, the hard pretzels. So you like the soft pretzel, yeah. dip it in cheese. Yeah. Sure. I'm also not a huge pretzel fan either, to be honest. They're all right. And I think they do add a little bit, but I do agree that there's probably way too many pretzels in most Chex Mix. Yeah. They just have such... They have a, a flavor that isn't aligned with the other flavors in Chex Mix. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Do you like scary movies? Um, I try to avoid them. I mean, when I was a kid, I loved to like Frankenstein and the Wolfman and stuff like so that. So like the MGM. The mummy. Yeah, like oh, the yeah. MGM those characters. Those are great. I love those. The only contemporary ones I think I've seen are like uh, the Scream movies. I liked those. Excellent movies. And if this was top five horror movies, Scream would certainly be in the list, maybe even top of the list. Because I still watch Scream every Halloween 
and to be honest, the new screams that have come out recently are also pretty good. The second and third ones were not very good. No. But since they kind of rebooted things and got a new cast of characters to mix in with some of the older ones, it's actually still a pretty good franchise. Yeah. All right, so top five scariest movies. And like I said, this is not necessarily my top five horror movies of all time. These are just the personal scariest movies that I've ever seen. Okay. So number five is Paranormal Activity. <laughs> People set up, it's a what's called a found footage movie, where you just assume that these people have died or disappeared because we've just found these videotapes. And they basically sleep them, or they videotape themselves while they sleep, and all sorts of paranormal things happen. You see footprints on the floor. The comforter, of course, gets pulled off at one point. Somebody's leg gets pulled off at one point. Leg pulled off? Right. No, thanks. It's a scary movie. And I saw it in the theater, which also made it even scarier. Number four is The Witch. I feel like that's something that you would like. Never heard of it. It's by a director. I think it's Robert Eggers. The last name is Eggers. And he did a really good job of... So it's about this family that is led by a very religious patriarch who doesn't agree with the local pastor. So they get exiled basically into the woods and the daughter sort of becomes entranced recruited by a local coven but that's not really even what it's about it's just it's really good and it's a period piece early america puritans so it's scary but also i think what makes it so scary is that it doesn't seem too far from what the reality was back then because back then, of course, the witches were real. And they aren't now. Eh, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, what, do, what do I think? Well, I think that, uh, well, the patriarchy would designate women that were smart and, and tried to understand the world around them in different ways than we normally do. They were sort of, you know, incipient scientists, and they were doing things that the men didn't like, so you call them a witch, and you... Kill him. So, yes? Yeah. No? <laughs> it's just, it's a label. I mean, the... That's what, even even as I was saying that they had, you know, they believed in witches back then, even as I was saying it, I didn't really believe what I said because it was an excuse for men to kill women. Yeah. You're a witch. Off with her head. Legally. You yeah. Know. So, yeah. So... To put a bow on that, I think we both agree that there has never been such a thing as a witch. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I believe that there I mean, are, there's no women that are flying no, on brooms that are, no, you know, there are no cutting witches. up baby parts and rubbing it on them, right. you know, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, it might still be a good movie. Unless there were children in peril. I can never watch a movie or a TV show with children in peril. There's children in peril. No way. Okay. I'm watching it. Uh, number three is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The I'll original never, 1974. I'll never watch anything with the, with ch the word chainsaw <laughs> in the title. It's excellent. Yeah. No it's thanks. really like artsy though. Very well regarded um, by a lot of directors. I'm just nodding to make you happy. Moving on. Number two is Hereditary. Never Frightening. Also has to do with witches in sort of a roundabout way. Spoiler alert. But 
just really deep family trauma and anger and fear and one of the scariest and I guess revolting scenes that I've seen in a movie. Why would I be interested in looking at, you know, terrible fire? I'm not saying you should. This one specifically, I'm not going to tell you to watch because most people probably shouldn't watch it. I didn't enjoy myself watching it. Again, these are not my favorite scary movies. These are my top five scariest movies that I have seen. All right, so I'm just taking this as Spencer. So this is not a top five like, hey, make sure you go out and rent this for your Halloween party. Do with this list what you will, but I'm not necessarily advocating for people to watch these. In fact, you're telling me not to watch them. Correct. Except for The Witch. I think you might get something out of The Witch. All right. Well, we'll see. So number one is The Descent. Never. Not surprised. Again, very, very scary. The biggest thing with The Descent is it's about a group of female spelunkers and it's very claustrophobic is the biggest thing. You feel like there's, you know, there's times where the women... So there's a part where they run into these, like, mole people, and that's sort of like the climax of the movie, but that's not even the scariest part. The scariest part is just as they're exploring this cave and get stuck or lose their way, just those sorts of feelings of claustrophobia not knowing how to get out of a situation, it's just like it latches onto you. Sounds like a nightmare. It really is. It's a very, very scary movie. And I think it oftentimes goes overlooked on lists of like top horror movies or scariest movies. I think I must see the title and just suppress it because I haven't heard of any of these. I just must <laughs> see it and not see it. I just. Well, yeah, and horror movies are sort of, I mean, they're a niche thing. Obviously, it's not necessarily something that, unless there's, like, Scream was had mass appeal and was. You saw the, right. the mask everywhere. Same thing with Halloween. Those sorts of movies. But yeah, these are not movies that would necessarily be like you'd see commercials for all the time. Right. I'm not going to go... I'm not going to pay money to be... to feel bad. I am going to go to the new Exorcist tonight. I remember the original Exorcist when it came out. It was pretty frightening. I think this one is called Believer. So I'll let you know how that is, even though you're never going to see it. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, I'll let you know how it is. Uh, Like I said at the top, next week, top five urban legends. Sounds good. You think of any urban legends off the top of your head? Rip Van Winkle. I guess that's not urban, that's rural. Urban. Well, it wouldn't necessarily have to be an urban legend. I'm just saying just like old wives' tales or things that... You know, your mom or your friends used to say, like, a, a big one would be that if you drink Pop Rocks and, or if oh, you I eat see. Pop Rocks and drink Pepsi or whatever at the same time, your stomach will explode. I've just pretty much, I don't know, I just pretty much ignore those things. <laughs> I just... I don't know. But, see, to me, you're an anthropologist. I, I, would, I assumed that you would be interested in... Well, they, they just... Because they're, they're basically memes. They're things that sort of get passed down from generation to generation. I mean, Chupacabra Without necessarily being count? written down. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's that would be a good example of an urban legend. Yeah. Chupacabras, Area 51. Or yeah, just, you know, Bigfoot would be an urban legend. Yeah, well, or, that's yeah. cool. I like that stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's different than Tide Pods, though. True. 
Yeah. Yeah. So. But I think they go hand in hand. I mean, I think you can, like, I don't know. I think there's probably is a different classification between, like, mythical creatures and urban legends. Mythical. But I think they still sort of go hand in hand. Because there are things that just get passed along from people to people that... Well, in a very natural way. I, you know, um, mythical creatures are fascinating. Yeah, like Loch Ness Monster and those sorts of things. Dragons and right. stuff like that, yeah. yeah. No. Or like Atlantis, the buried city, has always been sort of interesting to me, like this yeah. lost city. Trolls. <laughs> Trolls. Interesting. I mean, they are. Yeah. you got to pay the troll toll. Yeah. I mean, trolls on the internet aren't fun. Uh, I think I've told you before that you should watch this show, but there's a show called What We Do in the Shadows, and there's a character that is an energy vampire, so they suck the energy from people. They just ask boring questions. Just in general, this character is just the most boring character you can ever imagine. So he becomes an online troll because he realizes that he doesn't have to see people in person to suck their energy. He can just do it online. And so he comes across another troll. Come to find out, it's an actual troll. I saw a movie recently. It was uh, about, I saw it on some, I don't know, maybe on Netflix where there were trolls were real and it was some kind of Scandinavian movie and the trolls were hiding like his mountains. I don't know. It was interesting. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but no, that stuff interests me. Um, so maybe, you'll, so maybe you'll have to come up with your own list of, of urban legends and we'll have to compare. Yeah. I mean... There's, you know, there's so many things. When I think of urban legends and stuff like that, it's like, you know, just, I keep thinking like Jack the Ripper and stuff like that, but I guess he was real. Right. So I guess it's not a legend. Or like they would tell you to not, another urban legend that I can think of, and I don't want to ruin them all, so we shouldn't keep talking too much about this, but one of them is like you shouldn't flash your lights at somebody that has their headlights off. Because that was the urban legend that that's like a gang initiation where somebody will drive around with their lights off, wait for somebody to flicker their lights at them, and then kill them. Well, that's just sad. It's an urban legend. But I'm just saying, like, those are, most urban legends are foolish, but they're still fun. Yeah, like Trump is a. One of those person. things that may or may not have happened one time, and then it spreads, you know? Yeah. We'll discuss it more on the next podcast. Are we missing any... any... Fo- so it's like every Fox News segment. May or may not be true. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, may actually have a source, might yeah. actually have some sort of nugget of truth behind it. Yeah. Most often, probably not, though. Yeah. So very similar in that way. Uh, Dr. Bob, always enjoy getting together and doing the Iowa Revolution podcast. If you like Dr. Bob as much as I do, and I'm sure you do, make sure you follow him on Substack. He has Deep Midwest, Politics and Culture, similar stuff to what you hear on an Iowa Revolution podcast, but more in-depth. And you go to a lot of events, of course, very busy time of the calendar for Dr. Bob, going to all these caucus events, and he's got a very unique insight that I would encourage you to read. You can also follow him on Cedar Creek Nature Notes, both on Substack and on Instagram, Dr. Bob. Watch out, folks, has learned how to Instagram. And it's fun. (laughs) So make sure you follow him there. Make sure you follow us, us, of course, on Substack. You'll get this podcast delivered to you weekly. 
in your email. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at Iowa Revolution. Thanks for listening. Dr. Bob, can't wait till next week. We'll see you next time. Looking forward to it, Spencer, as always. Bow, 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 bow,